0: Alright, what's up everybody and welcome to another episode of uh, Ladies Let's Talk About Sex. I'm your host, Felicia, and I'm a lady talking about sex. And this week we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Marnie. Marnie, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Hi everybody, my name is Marnie Spiegel. I am a licensed clinical social worker out of Chicago. I work uh, at a practice called Embrace Sexual Wellness and we provide sex therapy.
0: Amazing. And this week, me and Marnie are going to talk about consent and the importance of consent and teaching consent to young children, um, because we both believe that it's very important to teach this uh, as early as possible uh, and start changing the conversation around consent and making it more normal and more to our nature, I think. I think that's a good way of stating that. So I guess let's talk about consent and what is it, if if there's a definition, maybe, Marnie, you wanna tell us?
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, we can all look up consent in the dictionary, um, but I think the most basic understanding of it would be just the word permission, um, giving somebody permission to do something.
0: Perfect, and why do you think that it's important to start teaching children about consent at such a young age?
1: Yeah, you know, this is sort of one of my soapbox um, passion Passion project um, topics. I really believe that teaching consent and allowing for children to internalize body autonomy is really important because this is when, you know, when we're little, is when we're really forming our beliefs and internalizing our beliefs around lots of different topics. Um, So the younger we can help children. Um, identify and internalize body autonomy and the fact that they have control over their bodies and should be able to determine who, how, when um, somebody touches them, then the more that they can be empowered to sort of live that life when they become more sexually active, when they have romantic relationships in the future, um, you know, this is when they're really gonna learn to be and have that empowerment.
0: I, I really like that point and I think that um, as I ask you about you know, how who does cons- consent affect, um, I think that this ripple effect definitely is evident when you start teaching consent at a young age. So is there anyone in particular you think consent affects or do you think it's kind of a universal thing that um, everyone should kind of understand and everyone should? Uh, everyone will be affected by.
1: Yeah, I think it really affects everybody. You know, whether we are deciding who we want to invite into our personal space, or we are interested in um, being invited into somebody else's personal space, um, I think it. I think it affects everybody um, and everybody universally.
0: I completely agree with that, and I think it's important. Um, to discuss and with this new movement of teaching consent and talking about consent, obviously there was you know, previous actions that had to occur for us to kind of have this discussion and really emphasize the importance of talking about consent. So maybe can we talk about the issues as to why consent has been a problem within our society and maybe talk about it in relation to, especially those who identify as women?
1: Yeah. You know, I think for a really long time, there was this um, sort of belief or style of child rearing that we had complete control over children um, as adults. And, you know, again, with that, then we're teaching children that certain feelings, certain beliefs um, override their comfortability. So we used to say, well, you know, or parents used to say to their children, um, you know, I made you I can break you or um, because I love you I should be able to kiss you and the message that that sends then um, is that if you love somebody then you get to decide how you treat that person's body and we've really seen the effects of that be quite negative Um, you know the idea that in a relation, you know, a romantic relationship that somebody feels that they are owed because of a feeling that they have. Because I love you, you owe me some sort of physical act. Um, you know is is the wrong message to send so i think that you know i'm a parent i ask my children every time i want to give them a kiss and sometimes they say yes and sometimes they say no and when they say no it kills me a little bit, um, because I want to be able to hug them or snuggle with them or kiss them. But I also want them to learn body autonomy and that they get to decide who touches them and how and when. Um, And just because I love them doesn't give me authority over their body. And I really want that message to be internalized. I really want them to understand that and believe that and carry that with them as they grow and mature and have different types of relationships.
0: I I completely agree with that. And I think that there's a lot of psychological theories and studies that show that the relationships that children have with their caregivers really determines the type of relationships they're going to be attracted to and the type of relationships they'll have in their, you know, later life. As I'm learning more about myself in my early 20s, I kind of... I see a lot of parallels in the relationships that I had with my parents when I was younger. And whether they were negative or positive, um, it's something that I have to decide myself. Do I like this type of relationship? Is this fulfilling me? Is this healthy? And like, I also, when we talk about the language we use with children and I think it's a new time and a new era and a new type of style of parenting, I don't necessarily blame my parents because I don't think they were taught any differently and, you know, they had immigrant grandparents too, so like they didn't know, they were just trying to make it day by day. So I think now the beauty with, you know, our society and and these types of movements is that we are able to recognize the mistakes that maybe past generations have made and try and right those those wrongs um which i think is really which i think is really nice um especially i'm studying to become a teacher so i think it's super important for teachers to also have this um new language in the classroom so i I really appreciate that but i kind of going back to kind of the breach of consent and kind of why this movement essentially started um, Do you know any statistics surrounding sexual harassment? Sure. Um, Well, I I don't know about sexual harassment specifically,
1: but I know, you know, Younger people are at higher risk of sexual violence or sexual assault. Um, You know, the ages 12 to 34 are the people who are at the highest risk. Um, And, you know, a lot of the statistics that we have are from self reporting or reporting to the police. And since we know that sexual assault and sexual violence in general is underreported, it's really hard to know the exact statistics around it. but you know, they say that I think they say one out of every six American women has been um, a victim of uh, attempted or completed rape. Um, one in six. That's a, and that's again we're thinking you know this is probably underreported, so um, thinking that statistic is probably greater.
0: That's that number's that number shouldn't exist, but it's just so high that's it's ridiculous and. Um, for our Canadian listeners, the number isn't that much lower. Um, I mean, we do have a smaller population compared to America, but the number isn't that much different. So I think that that's also important to recognize. And something I actually learned recently is that um, in regards to sexual harassment, a lot of men deal with it at a very early age, but they don't report it until um, adulthood. Um, So that statistic with men and sexual violence or sexual harassment is still up and coming and it definitely is in the midst of changing essentially because of the you know the new communities that we're encouraging the new conversations and dialogues we're having and um the shift in believing survivors also is is definitely affecting Um, that but i would also
1: say that it's more of a more taboo for men to report. Um, So that might also, you know, be affecting that statistic and those numbers.
0: A hundred percent. And the fact that the number of women right now dealing with either attempted rape or rape in America is so high. And then you factor in the fact that, you know, not everyone comes forward. Not everyone truly understands that um, their partners don't have autonomy over their body, you know? So even just like the education surrounding that and then the fact that a lot of women survivors aren't believed is like another, so it's just like a pile of systematic problems that I think having these conversations really does um, change the narrative and switch the conversation and we want to start educating people. So, I wanted to talk about some resources for survivors of assault. Um, And we kind of have a lot of resources for those who suffer, but we don't really have resources about, you know, what can we do to kind of prevent these issues from happening, essentially. It's very victim or survivor focused. And so do you know any resources as to kind of how to, prevent the problem, essentially? Yeah, you know, I think that's a that's a really good question.
1: There aren't a lot of prevention-focused programming out there. Um, most of the prevention-focused um, literature out there is really focused towards younger kids. So I have some books that are good for kids. Um, one is uh, C is for Consent, which is a really great book. It breaks it down. Um, talks about um the definition of consent why it's important makes it really age appropriate you know if you want to hug your friend or talking about being aggressive even um you know one of the reasons you know even in talking with my kids when they get into physical altercations i will use the language of consent when disciplining them so not just saying you know you may not hit but that is your sister's body and you may not touch it in a way that that the she doesn't consent to um so i think you know you can make it age appropriate then and then they will bring that knowledge as they grow up and understand it in a different way um another really great resource for kids is don't touch my hair by sheree miller um a really great book um my body belongs to me from my heart to my toes um and then i don't know if you've heard of the tea video but there's a youtube video that compares consent to making tea for somebody um and it can can, it's a little crass it has some adult language there's also like a pg version so there's one that cuts out the swear words um, and makes it a little more appropriate for kids but i think it is a really great way to make this a concrete more approachable um, concept for people to understand it's not as weighted it's not around a taboo topic it's about making and providing somebody with tea and so I'm, I'm a, a huge fan of the tea video.
0: No, I, I really think that's a great resource too. And for those of you who haven't seen the tea video, essentially they just basically use tea as um, like an analogy for consent. And they say, if you make someone tea and they say they don't want tea anymore, are you gonna shove the tea down their throat? If someone falls asleep uh, as you're making them tea, are you gonna pour tea on their face? Like, And there's a lot of, um, it just kind of runs through, but it's very short and sweet, and um, I recommend everyone watch it. It's, it's honestly, in my opinion, the adult version is very humorous, I think. Um, and so obviously, depending on who's watching, I think you know you can decide which version you'd like to watch, but I think that it's a very easy way of putting consent in very an in in everyday kind of action. Um, so I really, I, I really like that example. I'm really happy you brought that up. Um, so then going back to con- te- teaching consent, um, when would you give like an age or a timeline, or would you just kind of start straight out the womb teaching consent with a new language and new terms? Yeah,
1: I'm a big believer in, you know, you can pretty much make any topic age appropriate for any, developmental stage of life um so i'm a big believer in teaching consent from birth i know that there are people who will explain to babies who don't even understand language yet what they're doing as they change their baby's diaper um and you know you can start there and just get you getting used to the language getting your child used to the language um again i started once my kids really understood receptive language um, so i ask my children again if i can give them a kiss or a hug they have to consent i allow them to choose how they want to engage with their grandparents or aunts and uncles Um, there is no mandatory go hug your grandma Um, you know they still need to be respectful they need they're learning how to look people in the eye and saying hello and goodbye and thank you Um, but they don't need to touch them if they don't want to so they get the option do you want to give your grandma a hug and a kiss do you want to give them a fist bump a high five do you want to just nod your head and look them in the eye and be respectful Um, but they get to decide this and you know i had to work with some of my um older generational (laughs) relatives around this um but you know the the rule in in for our family is consent and body autonomy and if they want to adhere to that then great if not then um you know they're going to be limited in the interactions with my kids so yeah, I think I think from from really from from an early age, and again, you know, the way that I talk to my kids around. Um getting into physical fights. Again, I, I use I use that language. I want them to get used to that language. And so are they thinking about it in terms of sex? No. Um, what I'm trying to teach them is that they have control over their own body. And what that will translate to as they grow older and start getting more interested in sex and sexuality is that they not only do they have autonomy over their own bodies, but anybody that they come in contact with has autonomy of their body. Um, and you know i hope that that translates into respect um i also have sort of shifted the way that i talk to my kids about sex um so as they've gotten older and, you know, my son is is in his teens, and so we're, you know, he's asking me questions about having a girlfriend and, you know, what that's like. And one of the questions that he asked was, how do I know when I'm ready for sex? And I remember um, being taught by my own community that sex was about love. And the one thing that I realized in my own development was, you know, that's a really tricky concept, love. What does that mean? What does that mean to you when you're 12 versus 18 versus 25 versus 40? Um, you know, and I'm in my forties and I'm still unsure what love means. And I think it's different for everybody. So instead of using the term love, I use the term respect. So when my son asks me, how do I know when I'm ready to have sex? I, I really encourage him to think about respect for himself, respect for a partner, trust. Um, And those are the things that I think that we should look for in deciding when to have sex with somebody. Because, again, I I can't explain to my child what love means. And I know that he's going to think that he's in love probably before he actually is in love. so much, so many of us often do. And so I really want him to look for a partner that he respects and will respect him, that will respect his boundaries, that will stop if he is uncomfortable, that will pay attention to his needs and his pleasure. Um, and all of those things I think can sort of be summed up in the words respect and trust. And so that's, that's how we frame it in our family.
0: I think that's a really beautiful way of um, answering that question because I think that that's a big question that a lot of young adolescents um, have. And even myself, when I was younger, I kind of always asked, when's the best age? And you'd Google it and some people are like 16, 17, 18, 27. Like, you know, there's right. there's always all of these answers, but I feel like because sex is so personal and like, For me personally, like I waited a little bit longer than the average person, but I don't regret that at all. I actually think that that was the best decision for myself. Mm -hmm. Whereas I know some people have really evolved from their earlier sexual experiences and some people needed to have those relationships and needed to encounter that to kind of be who they are now. Mm -hmm. So I think that respect is something that you can kind of wrap your brain around amongst all of your, you know, teenage hormones. <laughs> Cause I'm sure that there was a point in my life when I was 15 and I was like, I'm in love, he's the one. And he was not. Uh, <laughs> so I'm sure that, um, or I'm pretty certain that I think respect is such a, a better way of framing things. Um, Cause love is something that we can't really, quantify and it's different in every relationship exactly. too.
1: Exactly it can mean so many different things to so many different
0: people. I think that that's a, a really great answer and I, I think I might I might definitely use that when I have uh, the sex talk with some of my students um, yeah. because I think that's a great way of putting it into terms that they can kind of understand. Um, but as we're changing the conversation around consent and around sex, are there things that maybe teachers and peers can do kind of beyond um, the narrative that you set within your own household and within your children's um, language? And would you have any recommendations maybe? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm also a sex educator out in the community.
1: um, And, you know, I really, make it a point to include consent in this in the sex education um programming that that we've developed i don't think you can parse out sex education from consent it's they're so um intertwined Um, and so it's really important that in talking about sex education with our youth that we are really um explicitly talking about consent within that that conversation.
0: Yeah, I, I really agree. And uh, unfortunately, I got my first consent talking university. But I think that's something that we should really start mandating within Sex education and health curriculums. Yeah, and
1: a lot of kids um, nowadays—they're so sort of—it's a hot button word, so they're sort of conditioned, um, and they—they sort of, you know, depending on the age, can roll their eyes when you bring it up. You know, we know no means no, Um, and I think that while that is very important, that they understand that no means no. I think it's—I think we've gotten to the place where we need to build on that and talk about expressed consent, that yes means yes, right? Um, it's not enough that somebody hasn't said no, they need to say yes. Um, because a lot of times we we take, you know, maybe somebody doesn't feel comfortable enough saying no, maybe somebody feels pressured. Um, and so to get an excited yes is very different than the absence of no.
0: I think that that, becomes very evident once you begin um, or once you become sexually active because you know the difference between an active and engaged partner versus someone who's just like limp. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that not only does that make the experience way better, but it also shows that there is respect and there is consent and everything is being given and it doesn't have to be this whole I think a lot of the issues I've seen with young teenagers that they feel like you have to be mid intercourse being like, is this consensual? It's like, no, you'll know if it's consensual, like they will say yes, they will be engaged, they will be communicating, it, it will be active, it won't, it doesn't have to be this like robotic conversation of, you know, every two minutes am i am i do i still have consent like you don't there's there's a ways to phrase it and there's ways to communicate it and i think that giving that counter um counter like opinion of just saying like an active yes is also consent mm-hmm. um kind of makes it a little bit more i don't want to say like fun but a little bit more engaging in the way that it, it it doesn't have to be this whole like no means no and that's consent and it robotic kind of um thing that's ingrained in young people's brains
1: that they feel like they, that it's a script almost, right? Um, for it to be a little more organic. Um, and, you know, I, I do hear that a lot. I hear that a lot around condoms. I hear that, right? That it's it takes the romance out of it and it's not gonna be spontaneous. And, you know, you can make it fun and spontaneous and still be communicative with your partner. Um, oftentimes that's what makes it the most fun. Um, you know, tuning in and making sure that your partner you know again not just that your partner is okay with what is happening but they're actually enjoying themselves um and that's that's all part of consent too
0: yeah and i think the media really does a bad job of displaying this because um you know movies and pornography kind of depict sex as this like very they honestly in my opinion it's very square it's a certain way it's always you know heteronormative individuals engaging in you know x y and z and usually there's no you know protection there's no um, engagement it's just kind of like this this scenario that plays out and those who are engaged in sexual activity know that that's not what happens and that's not what it's like and I think young people don't really understand that until they do engage in sexual activity and they become aware that yeah, I'm not Angelina Jolie in the bedroom. Like, that's not who I am. That's not who I'm supposed to be. And that's not how Angelina Jolie has sex. <laughs> Everything's directed too. So they tell you where to go, how to move. Mm-hmm. It's a dance essentially. So it's like, if you schedule your sex like this, then I'll, I'll to yeah. but that's not usually how it goes. Um, <laughs> but as we're teaching, young people about consent and active yeses and stuff like that, do we, because we have seen an influx in perpetrators being predominantly male, um, and a lot of people kind of have issues with this statement and this claim, but it's true. So I'm very curious as to if you think we should target boys or maybe misogyny within lesson plans regarding consent? Or if you think that we should just try and do it as neutral as we possibly can? So I
1: think it's really important that we are truthful and honest about the statistics, right? Most perpetrators are male. Most survivors um, or people who are experiencing sexual assault are female. Um, That is a fact. Period. Um, I know that that can be upsetting to some individuals, and I recognize that and I validate that, um, but that is the fact. I think that misogyny plays an enormous role in um, expectation of sexual uh, encounters and experiences um, around body autonomy. Um, you know, if girls are, well, so to answer your question, I think that when talking about consent, it should be universal. The girls need to hear the boys part and the boys need to hear the girls part and the gender non-conforming, everybody needs to hear all the parts, right? Um, I do think that there would be a place to talk to boys around the societal... Um, pressures around misogyny Um, so i actually wouldn't make that prevention program based on consent in sex ed i would actually base that um, prevention program around misogyny and um, systemic um, patriarchy, right? This idea that young girls are being raised in a society, at least in America, where we're still debating whether abortion is legal or not. Essentially, kids are growing up listening to a debate around whether women have autonomy over their bodies. Um, so this, these systemic pieces of patriarchy and misogyny are what is creating an environment where boys believe that they are owed that they take girls virginities that this is a conquest that this will you know that that losing their own virginity makes them a man um so all of these messages um are really creating a patriarchal society and a misogynistic society where um, you know the message to boys is that to be a man, to be a real man, um, they have to behave in a certain way. And I think that counteracting that messaging is essential in reducing the incidences of sexual assault and sexual
0: harassment. I I 100% agree. And I think we're seeing a slight shift in kind of these discussions. And I know that a lot of older actors are coming out and and talking about either their experience with sexual violence or their experience with misogyny or um, just kind of what being a man is to them. Um, There's an actor named Justin uh, Baldoni uh, he was on Jane the Virgin, and he's really uh, adamant about reclaiming what it means to be a man and reclaiming what masculinity is to him. And he's he's very sweet, and he's a, a big activist and ally for um, women and women's rights. Um, so I think that we're changing, but I do think that it's really important too that men, you know, my age and even younger, start realizing that they're paving the way for our future and they're them conforming to this patriarchal society and adapting to you know these male norms is only going to make our society as a whole kind of worse Mm -hmm. and so I do think that when we do want to teach these and have these seminars with young young men I do think that it's important that you know older men come and have these conversations with men because I know as a teacher just seeing boys one-on-one they'll listen to women but when it comes to being a man I can't go and I can't have a conversation about what it's like to be a man and the pressures that's I can't relate I'm a woman Uh, it's just different for me so I really think and I really want to engage young men in these conversations because as much as you know, this episode is is women talking about sex. I still want men to come and hear us, and you know, be allies and help change this narrative. And there's a part in there's a part for men here too. Uh, there's jobs for them to do, and uh, there's work for them, and there's allyship for them. And I really want to start engaging in that conversation with them. Um, because it has become a little bit of a challenge, especially with our name ladies to talk about sex. You know, we're women, but, um, you know, I don't boycott things that men do. I mean, they kind of do everything right now. So I don't really have a choice. But um, I really think that this is important for young men to start um, discussing and to start becoming activists for you know at women's marches and pro um choice marches we need men there just as much as we need women so i think that this is something that we really need to work on um and to all the boy listeners there's probably two boy listeners there one of them's my brother but uh I think that it's important to start having these conversations with your buddies and your friends and start shifting the narrative, especially around like locker talk or just like, Mm -hmm. I think a big thing that we talked about was like language and um, how we can kind of reform the language around consent and start teaching it at such a young age. I think that especially for men, it's important to reformulate the language they use Towards women, about sex, in relation to consent, um, I think that like locker room talk is like very powerful, and you know, for one guy to be like, you know what, that's not okay to say, or for one young man to say like, I don't, that's not cool, is, I think, is some of the greatest things that you know young men and boys can do um, in support of women and. This whole movement, essentially,
1: yeah, it can be really, really powerful, really powerful, um, you know you also asked me um, about the idea of sort of um, of focusing on boys, and one thing that I really think um, is significant is that you know right now we are focusing on women, and that's we call that prevention, but it's actually not prevention. Women can't prevent themselves from being sexually assaulted. Um, Sexual assault and rape has occurred way before the miniskirt was invented. And when women were covered from head to toe um, and before, you know, drunken parties, um, women have been raped and taken advantage of since the beginning of time. And so if we, you know, we can't, blame it on what she was wearing or whether she was drunk Um, and again focusing on those things isn't what's going to prevent rape from happening what's going to prevent rape from happening is addressing why People choose to rape and choose to sexually assault and to ha- and to harass. Um, and the reason for that, you know, what we do know about rape and sexual harassment and sexual assault is that it rarely about sex; it's about control. And so the idea, you know, that um, that men again because they are more often the the perpetrator, but that men are. Um, thinking that they can control women and women's bodies is really the the cause of rape it's you know again it's not the mini skirts and the intoxication level of the victim or the survivor
0: it's very frustrating because it just seems so obvious to me uh, you know that my it. my skirt doesn't doesn't you know make you do anything uh, my inability to complete a sentence doesn't force you to do anything. Um, So I think that, you know, as much as men don't like being called out, uh, it's really time for them to step it up um, and to be good friends. That's just kind of how I see it, as just be good friends, be good allies, be good support, because we still live in the society where, you know, men are men have a lot more control than women and if so, if I can't get, you know, things bills passed or if I can't have access to certain things, maybe you might be able to, maybe someone will listen to you more than they'll listen to me. And as unfortunate as that sounds, because I would love to do everything on my own, uh, it's not the case and it's not the case for a lot of women. So, I think it's really important to have good men standing with us and beside us um, to kind of fight this fight because it's not over. It doesn't look like it's going to be over anytime soon. Um, But I think that it's really important to have good allies and have good partners um, who really fundamentally understand consent and the importance of it and how teaching consent really can dictate the way someone chooses to live their life and chooses to have relationships. Um, So kind of as we wrap up there, I wanted to ask you about some, if you had any recommendations for resources or tools um, for like teachers, parents, or even young people, just to kind of learn more about how they can learn about consent or how they can be good allies or partners. Yeah, I think, you know, I think um, the books that, and the T
1: video that we mentioned earlier, um, but I think finding your sort of your local um, advocacy, Feminist advocacy group. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of, st- of, of starting local. Um, that's where we're going to be most effective right now. Um, and starting with your own interpersonal relationships. So again, like you said, being an upstander. When you hear somebody speaking in a way that is disrespectful, um, making sure that, you know, you're sort of that first um that first line of defense, um, as, as hard as it can be sometimes of really um, standing up for what you believe in, even if it isn't a popular stance.
0: I don't think it will be unpopular amongst women, I'm just saying that for the straight guys. Uh, I really have never turned down a guy for being too respectful. Um, But no, I completely agree with that. And I think that, you know, it might not, not everything happens overnight, but I do think that small actions really have greater consequences. Um, And especially for, I think, like locker room talk or just like chatting with your guy friends um, or girlfriends, Mm -hmm. just really reclaiming terms and changing the narrative and changing the language you use surrounding sex and consent um, is really gonna have a ripple effect. Cause maybe you might not see an immediate reaction, but maybe someone will internalize what you said. And you never know. So I always just say, you never know who it's gonna affect or who it's gonna touch. But it, it really is so important. And honestly, it, it saves lives. Like it really does, avoiding any form of sexual violence or assault really Def, like a hundred percent dictates the, the trajectory of someone's life, like because that stuff stays with you forever and the trauma that survivors have to overcome and deal with is is unexplainable essentially. So I really think that starting small and, and local is a really great idea. Um, and I'm also going to link the books that you suggested and the tea video on our Instagram at Ladies Let's Talk About Sex. So if you didn't catch them, just find them there. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to thank you again for coming on the podcast. I really appreciated it. It was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and yeah, did you have any final words before we, we head out? Final
1: words. Um, I, I think, you know, just be respectful. Just, you know, listening and being respectful. Um, that's, that's the basics that we can do.
0: I really appreciate that. I think that that's something everyone can take from this. Before we go, I can't forget to mention our sponsor of the week, Intamo Pleasurables. Intamo Pleasurables facilitates sex that feels better by using plant-based ingredients that nourish your body and leave it feeling sensational. Their formulas are designed with intentional ingredients that promote pleasure and ease discomfort. They use plant-based ingredients in all of their formulas and it is very important to them because they don't want any harmful ingredients going anywhere near your intimate parts or any other body parts. Unlike any other personal lubricants and personal care products, their formulas are paraben-free, glycinogen-free, glycolin free -free, and cruelty-free. So definitely check them out at Entamil Pleasurable. I just wanted to thank Marnie again for taking the time to speak to us on consent. Um, This week is World Sexual Health Day, and I believe consent is at the foundation of everyone's sexual explorations and experiences. So I really encourage everyone to not only really actively listen to the conversations that we had today, but also figure out how you can actively incorporate consent into your sexual health and sexual experiences with yourself and with your partner, and also with the people around you. Anyways, if you're not already, make sure to subscribe to the Ladies Let's Talk About Sex podcast. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. And make sure to check us out on Instagram at Ladies Let's Talk About Sex. Alright, and we will see you next week for a new podcast episode. Thanks for listening.